Give me a microphone. Welcome back. This is Nooner Nation. I am joined tonight by a very special guest. Um, you know, typically most episodes are uh, people kind of within the Nooner community, but I also, you know, love getting a chance to introduce people with interesting stories and uh, talk to them, especially when a very interesting person happens to be a close family friend. I will exploit that relationship. So I'm joined to, tonight by uh, Drew Shook. What's going on, Drew? Hey, how are you? I keep, I keep having to keep from calling you Andrew out of habit. Hey, that's fine. Whatever. I, I don't want to like, I don't want to dead name you as Andrew. It's Drew now. That's how you know me, though. It's fine. There's yeah. a few select people that, that say that. Yeah. Yeah. So not only are you interesting, you're also uh, one of the only people I've ever met that could actually pull off wearing a Boy Scout uniform as normal garb. I don't know if you remember in yeah. high school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that was like, you know, early Goodwill hunting days. Yeah. So yeah, I remember you had to do to stick out. Yeah, you had like a Cub Scout shirt on just as casual wear and you weren't even like in yeah. the Scouts. So I, I think you and maybe three other people thought it was cool and then a lot of other people gave me a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, probably people like in the Boy Scouts, but like their opinion doesn't matter, you know? Yeah, they don't know. You know, they're wearing those dumb socks and shit all the time. I don't like, yeah, I'll have to like make fire with sticks. Like, we have matches now, guys. Yeah, I couldn't show my soapbox car, and uh, you know, I think they thought I was faking. So, yeah, yeah, well, we moved on from there. But <laughs> so, um, before we get started, again, everybody uh, already knows the drill go like and subscribe on YouTube. Uh, if you're listening to this and you haven't subscribed to YouTube yet, go do that, it helps out a lot. Also, go, uh, Wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, um, Podbean, all those places, go rate, leave a review. It goes a, uh, a very, very long way. So, yeah. So, like I said, guest tonight, Drew, has a very interesting story. I wanted to get him on for a while and uh, finally was able to pin him down. I reached out to him and he said he'd love to come on. And uh, so, yeah, again, thanks for coming on. It sounded like he had a, uh, a long day out in the iron fields today. Yeah, the iron fields of uh, Appalachia, Western North Carolina, via Asheville. Yeah. Your old stomping grounds. Yep. Yep. Well, yeah. Asheville adjacent, I suppose. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't want people getting the wrong idea that I'm from Asheville of all places, you know. Right. It was just like a stepping stone for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Hendersonville, for sure. Mm -hmm. Asheville's, uh, Asheville's beautiful and weird. I've always kind of thought it was like... Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Austin. It's like Austin of the Appalachians. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah, it definitely is. Like it's, it gets a lot of correlation as a small San Francisco, which I always find funny and maybe not so true, but uh, I've heard people say that. It's just a, a funny little knuckle in the mountains. Everything outside of it's completely different. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. So trying to think, how big is Asheville? Not that big, right? It's not that big. Let's pull up some stats. I'm not going to be able to give you any good information uh, on this. <laughs> no, no worries. No worries. Uh, but yeah, Asheville's a cool place. If you ever get a chance to stop by, Sierra Nevada has got a really cool uh, place there. I think I haven't been back in a couple of years. That just opened, I think, the last time I came into town. But Yeah, there's that. There's a lot of uh, – there's, there's actually a really like large uh, number of James Beard Award winners and yeah. restaurants you get, So Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Beautiful area. But uh, so, yeah. 
uh, you know, let you introduce yourself real quick before we uh, go into deep diving into your history and your story. But uh, you're uh, like a, an iron sculptor, correct? Yeah, iron metal worker, uh, kind of craftsman. Um, accidentally fell, kind of fell into this field from a, an injury and was looking for like a new avenue. Um, I just kind of like learned how to weld. Didn't really know what it was when someone mentioned it to me and just kind of approached it and slowly worked my way into it. One thing led to another and um, a lot of respect for like iron workers and like unions and oil fields, but um, approached that for a little bit, did some, uh, some pipeline welding on a few rigs and also did, uh, I moved to New York and my first job was an iron worker for a bit. I didn't take, you know, a couple months of that way up, way up high. I was yeah. uh, really feeling a lot of respect for those guys. It's crazy yeah. work. Eating, uh, eating your lunch on the girder way up there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, no, no, uh, no tie offs or anything. Just OSHA's worst nightmare. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that, uh, that happens up there that they would have no idea about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What, uh, what were you going to pursue before an injury? Uh, I don't know. You know, I was living in Charleston, South Carolina with a few buddies and that was like the first attempt at school, trying to go to a tech school down there and, uh, just kind of go on that like lost college route of sounds very familiar who I was and I knew who I was. Yep. Yep. Sounds familiar. I, uh, I spent some time in Charleston as well going to, uh, Shit, what was the community college down there? Trident. Trident, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was doing the culinary program at Trident. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, turns out it's fun living at the beach until you got to figure out a way to pay to live at the beach. And then yeah, the, it's, easy. it's easy to flunk out and surf all the time. Yeah, yep. And then, yeah, the beach becomes not so much fun because you're working all the time. <laughs> Exactly. I was I was working in the the back of an Applebee's and uh, saw a dude deep fry his hand one time. That was oh, that puts the wrestlers scene to shame. It was rough. It was probably one of the worst things I've ever witnessed in person. The uh, I've told it on the show before, but the fry cook, I think he was high as shit, texting, dropped his phone in the deep fryer and just instinctively went in after it. You text, you fry, you die, man. Yeah, man. So that was uh. That was pretty graphic, pretty graphic scene. Needless to say, though, no time to clean up. People want their, their you know, their chicken fingers. Keep it rolling. You know. Yeah, just chicken fingers, not fingers. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think they found his hand in there eventually. You know, I don't know. But so, yeah, Charleston's fun. But again, you know, so yeah, your, your story sounds quite a bit like mine. And then I came back home and, uh, you know, became an engineer. So worked out in the end. Good one with that too, I think. Uh, eh. I trick people into thinking I'm better than I am, which maybe that just means I'm good at it. Don't know. You're just getting started, man. <laughs> so yeah, so you, you went off as a you know a, a like, I guess what you'd call a commercial iron worker, and mm-hmm. then um, I believe, if, and I'll let you tell this, but while in New York, you is that kind of where you started doing some more uh, artistic welding? It is, yeah. I had a had a buddy I was living with in Asheville, and he was gonna. Um, he had a really nice shop. He was gonna move to Texas, and I was either gonna go join some buddies and go on like a trip to New Zealand, and I applied for a visa to try and work there for a while, or go to New York, and uh, just ended up going to New York. Never been there. Flew in with a couple of duffel bags in New Jersey, and saw the city from the plane. And I, it was like July, and I was like, oh my gosh, what what am I getting myself into? Yeah, you know. 
the, hit the ground. It was hot, yeah. noisy, was angry, and just kind of went for it. Hung out for you know close to eight years and kind of followed. Uh, just kind of stumbled upon the art scene there. Worked for a few artists up there doing like large scale sculpture, and uh, after a while, started building these sculptures and putting them up all over the world. Uh, Pretty, pretty amazing all over the country in the U.S. And, um, yeah, just traveling around a lot. Yeah. So, a lot of, yeah. Any, uh, any sculptures that people would recognize? Um, the majority of these were forgetting Roxy Payne. They were stainless steel sculptures. Um, so if you've ever been to Raleigh, there's one outside of Raleigh at the National Museum. There's one in Bentonville, Arkansas, Alice Walton's Museum as you enter from the front. Uh, there's another one in Grand Rapids, Michigan, LA. Uh, there's one in L. There's a couple in LA, but one especially is for a guy that owns a GT, Dave Kombucha. He has one outside his factory. Oh, They're all over the place. Um, Houston, Texas. There's one of the museum there. Um, yeah, they're all over the map. Yeah, where what was your uh, internationally? What was your favorite place to go? I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of a combo. Um, we did one that we installed. Um, it was it kind of traveled around a lot. It went to Amsterdam, went to Art Basel in Amsterdam, and then got put in storage for a bit. Went to Germany. We never got to install it, and then getting shipped to the states so we could work on it, and then shipped to Australia for a biennial. Um, and that was really cool because I have family there, so I got to see some aunts. We put this up for a Sydney biennial in the middle of Sydney, looking at the Opera House. It was uh, it was really beautiful, you know, really fun experience. But I think the best one that tops that was uh, another one that uh, ended up going in Jerusalem at the National Gallery there. That was really fun. It's just like this upside down, um, probably a little over close to 40, under 40 feet, like this massive stainless steel tree with the roots sticking upward. Um, really beautiful piece. Um, that was probably one of the one of the better ones working for that artist traveling around. Yeah, getting to see like the crazy, all the you know cultural demographics there, and um, you know, all the social unrest and um, the organized chaos that just surrounds all the little sects of Jerusalem and outside of that, like in Tel Aviv, and, you know, all right. the Palestinian encampments that no one ever sees, and floating in the Dead Sea, and giving you know women women mud that couldn't come and get in the water because they couldn't show their skin, and they're crying you and thanking you for giving them like grocery bags of mud because they're gonna go home and like. Huh. Put these minerals of mud on their skin, you know. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. You're probably what? A young 20-year-old kid doing uh, all this? I think I was 24 when I went on that trip. You know, so it was a, it was a really cool, eye-opening experience. Right, right. And then, uh, so from New York, you know, wh where'd you go next? Uh, after New York, I kind of bounced around for a bit, got a motorcycle and became a rebel for a minute just traveled around, saw a few friends. I had a buddy that um, created a relationship in a, in a foundry in Arizona and went down there for a while, went to LA for a bit, went to Chicago, ended up coming back to Arizona and made some really beautiful sculpture for them for a while in that foundry and still do work with them from time to time. Um, <clears throat> and then after that, I ended up coming back to Asheville, I have family here and long ties, as you know, yeah. um, old family friends and history here, a um, daughter as well. And I met some, some people that actually came here 
some some tech gurus and they did a they did a little one year jaunt in Asheville and they were a part of a really cool group called the Mavericks, um, which is a really successful group of entrepreneurs that I think they're still trying to like you know build their their social network and get more members obviously but really successful people and every year um i didn't know this at the time i found this out much later but um one of the guys was this guy named mike klein really cool guy he's got a really amazing few tech companies and probably a lot more that i don't know but smart guy um came and we hung out created a good relationship and then eventually they moved away and i heard from him we, we would correspond every now and then from him about a, a year later and he called me up. He was like, hey, Drew, how's it going? I was like, uh, you know, going pretty good. Same old, same old. He's like, hey, I've got a, a really interesting project for you. And I was like, okay. He's like, uh, down here in uh, the, the Virgin Islands and down here with a group called the Mavericks, which you know, the group I just explained mm-hmm. to you. And uh, we're, we're working with Richard Branson. We're actually staying on his, his island, Necker, that he rents out. Cause his two is a uh, mosquito that he lives on, Necker, that he rents out to anyone that's willing to pay a ridiculous amount of money to come and hang out there. Right. And uh, they get together there every year. It's like a collective group and then brainstorm ideas and they'll help each other out. So they're there brainstorming ideas and they get like a few days here and there out of a week with Richard Branson to hang out. And I think one of his, a person that he knows who became a good friend of mine, this guy named Owen Buggy, really great photographer and um, engineer as well. Uh, hit up Richard about a boat that was getting scrapped. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say uh, when we're talking off air, I, uh, I, in the kind of the YouTube description, kind of the Instagram stuff, I said, uh, it's like, Oh, so my guest tonight, uh, helped sink a naval vessel in the British Virgin yeah. islands on request of Richard Branson. So, <laughs> so yeah, I was kind of yeah, wondering how I was going to ask how, you know, you're, you know, cause I obviously, you know, we've, I've known you for a very long time. Um, you, you were a childhood friend of my brother, still friend, great friends. You know, you were in his wedding. Was that two years ago? Mm-hmm. Um, to this day, probably one of the best karaoke years I've ever, uh, encountered in, in the wild. I think you did a uh, King of the road at the bachelor party. Oh. Yes. I'll take that. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was kind of wondering how, what led you to this project? So, so yeah, like, so you get this call to go do something in the, the Virgin Islands for Richard Branson. Right. Yeah. I, I kind of didn't believe it at first. I was uh, working on a project here in Asheville. I've, I've got a few containers I have a shop out of. And it was like middle of the summer and I'm just sweating, you know, sweating my ass off. Now enjoying my work and I get this call and so my buddy Mike is, uh, proceeding to tell me what's going on is like, so we have this boat that now my friend Owen, also a really good friend, I think he used to work for Richard for quite a while, uh, is, is pitching to Richard Branson to do whatever he can to save this boat in Tortola in the harbor that's been kind of derelict and like halfway sinking, keeling a little bit, you know, on its stern um, side and uh, so Richard's like, okay, I'll see what I can do. So the same time he's there with the Mavericks, he pitches them this idea. He's like, hey, listen, we've got this boat here in Tortola. We, we would like to save it. Uh, right now it's in the process of maybe being scrapped. I can make a call to the government and try to slow this process if we can come up with enough money to buy this boat. 
in order to then come up with an idea to do something with it. So they all talk, they come up with an idea. And then my friend Mike calls me and proceeds to tell me everything that I just told you. And he informs me that this boat was a boat that was like an oil, basically an oil tanker to some degree in Pearl Harbor. It was one of a few boats that survived Pearl Harbor. It didn't go down. Um, and after that, it's called the Koyo, uh, Koyo 44. Um, a lot of really cool, interesting information on the internet about it. I should, I'll send you the links. Yeah, for sure. You could pull them up, but I can send them to you. You can add it to this later. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, but after that, and it wasn't synced, which is pretty amazing considering all the damage that was incurred there, you know, that day, it became a crabbing vessel, a fishing vessel, a Norwegian kind of charter ship vessel. And a few, it had a few other, you know, roundabout jobs until it eventually ended up in road town harbor totola um where it just kind of like lived out its days and rusted out so i had my friend mike klein pitched to me he was like hey we've we've acquired this boat we've come up with an idea we want to take this boat and clean it over all of its like you know toxic oil and everything else and as, as best we can plastics and everything of that nature and sink it and make it a sustainable dive site um, but we need to add a feature to it. Would you be interested in doing that? You know, like adding some kind of sculptural sculptural element. And I was just like, you know, I kind of couldn't believe it. Like he's calling me out of the blue and talked to him in probably four or five months. And he's telling me he's got a project for me to put a sculpture on a vessel that survived Pearl Harbor. It's roughly 150 feet long. And they want to put a metal sculpture on it. That they can then possibly sink, uh, I was just blown away. Uh, so we got to talking, figured it out, and we decided to put a you know mythical kraken squid on it. Um, we got a team together. We worked with uh, lots of conservationists, um, some other artists, some other metal people. Um, Mike Klein, his like tech crew, and a lot of uh, quite a few of the Mavericks, um, and then along with Richard and a lot of his people as well, and some governmental bodies. <clears throat> in the British Virgin Islands. And uh, all these people came together. So we had meetings for, God, it must have been close to two to three months before we ever hit the ground down there, just working everything out, getting everything sorted. Um, and, uh, and, what, what year was this? Oh, my God, great question. Uh, let me see, 18, maybe, 17? I forget. Well, I think it was... Uh... <laughs> Actually, I went back and I sent. I put the um, the link to the that short documentary that was made about the project down in the, yeah. the YouTube description. So uh, anybody watching, obviously, finish watching this show and then go watch that. But I think I think it might have been 2016 because some events that happened later were in the 2017 era. But that sounds I, about right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really amazing uh, documentary that got injured into a few film festivals. And one, um, it was most of the film work was done by a guy named Rob Sorrenti, who does all of the drone work for Mission Impossible and tons of other really big, hot yeah. films. He's this really... The, the new Top Gun? He may have had a hand in that. Sorry, you, you mentioned Mavericks, and I don't know if you've seen the new Top Gun but I pretty much use any chance I can to bring it up because it was awesome. I was blown away. Oh, yeah. Loved it. It was amazing. Like, it was just, I, th I was worried it was going to be 
peasy and over the top. And yeah. It's so clean and well done. And yeah, that's exactly how I was. I left that movie just like, is that the perfect movie? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, can I watch both of them one right after the other and just binge them yeah. in circulation? Not to mention, I'm just like, this like mid thirties dude that works in an office with two kids in the Midwest. And I saw that movie. I was like, um, I'm buying a motorcycle. I yeah. am going to learn how to fly a fighter jet. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get, I mean, right now I've got the, the wayfarers, but I got to get aviators now and a leather jacket. I'm going to, I got to shave yeah. this. I almost, my wife, Stacy got almost got really mad. I was going to shave into the mustache, just keep the mustache. Yeah. But, uh, you gotta, you gotta goose it up. Yeah. But, uh, Unlike you pull the mustache off well, I don't. I have the beard to just mask a really weak chin. So I can't I can't get rid of the beard. But so you guys are planning for, you know, a few months before anything happens. Mm-hmm. And then Yeah, we're planning to get everything rolling. Uh uh I, I make a really a really beautiful model to scale the ship. I'll send you some photos of. And uh you know, we just get everything lined up. We get all our tooling set up, get everything set up down there. Um, and we all get flights and make our way down there. Mike sets myself on a crew of four with this beautiful villa. Um, you know, we were all kind of volunteering and helping out, but we all, we have the accommodations are great. We all got down there and first couple of days kind of got started. You know, I had never been down there. I didn't know anything about the islands and get down there it's beautiful and we're taking this first drive through the islands to see this rusty old boat we get there and it's kind of immersed in this like funky little derelict like junkyard so we we go into the gate we come through there's like goats and they call them dumpster chickens everywhere (laughs) it just looks really crusty we get to this boat it's like kind of half-assed in the water and i'm just like what in what in the hell did I do? Because I made this model, which was to scale off of this 150 foot ship, but I made this Kraken roughly about 60 feet in length, which takes up two thirds of the boat. And I, you know, I'm just, mass is puckered pretty hard. Right. Thought you might've bit off a little but, too much uh, on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I don't know. I think I work a lot better under stress. Um, I, I just, you know, intensity projects. Um, but oddly enough, great crew. Um, we get down there, we hit the, we hit it really hard. I think over the span of 42 days, we took two days off, you know, and then we all probably stayed down there for an extra week and a half having a good time. Right. But, uh, yeah, it was a huge collective of people and, um, just impressive, like tons of volunteers helped out from the island. Uh, we had a lot of Richard Branson's people helping, a lot of the you know, Maverick people helping. Um, aside from the, you know them, the crew of four is four of us there every day. It was myself, uh, good friend Josh Wilson, another friend named Rebecca Howard, uh, another kid uh, Corey Havens, uh, Mike Klein, his partner at the time, Adica, um, and then. Um, quite a few other people I'm drawing blanks right now, but one of the largest helps and uh, was a guy named Chris Jordan. Um, this guy from South Africa was like top tier body surfer, bodyboarding boogie surfer of the world for like 
quite a few years running. He runs like the huge commercial dad company down there. And he's like the Batman of the island. You know, that'd be a cool guy. That'd be a podcast that would be amazing. Oh, yeah. Set you up with him. Yeah, for he, sure. He was a huge player and just like getting a lot of his crew to come help us every day. He kept, they would go pump the boat out every morning when we got there. They would come give us tools. You know, we're working in this, in this little harbor, which, you know, this boat's like every day, all day long, just going back and forth anywhere from a few feet to 10 feet away off of like this weird little, like barely a shoreline lifted shoreline for us to get off and on. So we're jumping off, we're jumping on sometimes with weird ladders. And, and all the meanwhile, you have a lot of small boats going in and out, but every day, twice a day, maybe four times a day, you have a cruise ship come in, dock, leave, cruise ship comes in, docks, leave. And that makes a wake that you would not believe. Right. So when you're making all these huge components and pieces in this yard, or you're working on the boat and you've got people and you've got a dredge on one side, you know, with a crane that I'm operating and I'm trying to yell over like generators and heat, people are tired. You got boats zipping around and dumpster diver chicken screaming and, uh, and you're, you're on a barge with a crane lifting a piece on a wire and the other boats moving independently. It's just, it's dangerous. And this huge old boat from Pearl Harbor is rusty. Yeah. You fall, you fall safely. You're going to get cut up. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was kind of wondering when you mentioned the cruise shift with the wake, you're probably on that thing working, just thinking like this thing's floating, but that's pretty big wake. And this is a pretty rusty ship. Like, yeah, thankfully we were all tetanused up pretty heavily. Uh, I think that was like a requirement for me for everyone mm-hmm. joining. But uh, we all we all took some good bashes, and I'm definitely had my fill for sure. One guy sprained, broke his ankle, and other people got pretty pretty hurt. And, uh, Chris's divers are pretty amazing. They would come in, and have to do like weird little patches. Um, this job kind of taught me how to like the skill set of learning underwater and led to some other really cool commercial diving experiences that I've now come to like really love and get heavily involved in as far as diving goes. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was a death trap and beauty, beauty at the same time, you know, chaotic, fun, painful, you know, I, the path of welding is, was unknown, but has been fun, but incredibly hard work. Right. Uh, But then to, to throw that into like, 90 to 100 temperature days in the caribbean on moving water completely different you know right you're sweating a lot the, the salinity in the air like you're welding you know you got two big massive generator welders on this big rusty boat to even get a proper weld you've got to sit there and like sledgehammer old rust off it's like half an inch thick to just get to bare metal to get a ground on so that you can then Rust more rust to make another weld for this component you're adding to the ship and you're welding it and you're going through like four pairs of gloves a day. And if you do one tack or weld in a wet pair of gloves, you get shocked so bad you hit your knees and wake right. up laughing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's what I was going to wonder about. You know, I've done minimal welding and mostly TIG welding, but um, yeah, just like working in that kind of environment with the rust and then also, yeah, like the moisture and just, overall like just wetness of everything around a rusty ass boat so i'm sure everything's fucking wet oh yeah man yeah. it was it was a nightmare and then we'd have like a daily downpour just always come out of nowhere you know 
and there's like there's no bathroom anywhere so you know we've got one girl in the crew and three other guys and the people coming in out volunteering for some of the time you know it's a it's a crusty dangerous yeah a lot of a lot of uh, heavy words here and there. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, a lot of anger and a lot of. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that I'm sure that sledgehammer you were talking about probably got chucked across the, the boat a couple of times. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a few instances where, like, you know, a few. I mean, the majority of the people when we started were just, you know, it, it took a while to develop, to develop their faith in me because I, I, made this thing so big. Yeah. You know? It was absurd when you really think about it. But when it was all said and done, we knocked it out. It was, it was beautiful. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, the pictures uh, for the thumbnail of this, I have uh, somebody must have got either like an overhead with a drone or something before it sank. Yeah, that was, that was Rob Sorrentia with his drone. Yeah, yeah and I, it's, it is gorgeous, and it almost looks unreal because of like the mesh you welded to it. You know, it's just kind of like this ghost clinging on to this old rusty boat yeah and that was that was one of the scarier parts um because we you know we got the build done and it sat in the harbor for a little over a month and i, I came back home but then when they came up uh chris jordan was in, in charge of towing this boat and patching a lot of the holes because we were basically uh you know we did the entire build in road town and if you look at a topographical map on Google or however you, however you look at it of the British Virgin Islands and you're looking down, it, we basically towed it from Roadtown, which is like this little shark's mouth, mm -hmm. out into the open water and I had to go through some pretty crazy torrented heavy current waters to get it to Virgin Gorda, whereas where, where we sank it. Um, and that was probably the sketchiest part of all because it could have just one of these patches we put in out of nowhere and just gone down where it wanted to, which would have been a place that wouldn't have been as easy to dive as where it went, which was like where we put it, the biggest depth at the very bottom was just under 60 feet. So the very top of it was about 38 feet, which there's, there's a few YouTube videos of some free divers yeah. diving down into the boat they go through the boat, like inside the boat, like the cafeteria, the bathroom, the driving hole, and then they come out. And I designed this thing so there's a few, a few of the tentacles that you can kind of get into and see, and you back out. But in the back of the boat, when you come out, you can either come out on the back deck, or you can just swim in through the boat and come go through the cafeteria. And we made holes where you come up, and you were in the body of the kraken, and it looked like this cathedral. It was beautiful, and the light that was in there. She'd be in this cathedral, and that freediver does that. And it's just like, it's amazing because you see, like I dove at a bunch you know, on a tank. I'm not a freediver. And it's, it's really cool whether you're inside or out. You see all these constant bubbles. You know, mm -hmm. but with freedivers, there's no bubbles because you're on yeah. limited supply of air. And what you have is that's it. But this guy goes in, goes around really delicately and shot well. And then he comes back out to this hole we put in the back and also the top. And, it was just epic. It looked completely different in the water. Like you're saying, ghostly, eerie, but beautiful at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like I said, I rewatched the uh, the documentary yesterday. And yeah, I think like the first two, they say like the first two guys that dived it were locals. And they're, yeah, they're, I don't, I'm, 
I don't know if the people that they're videoing were those two guys, but the two people they were showing diving it were, yeah, just snorkels and fins. Yeah. Going through this thing. And I'm like, man, how far down is this? I know like free divers can hold their breath for a while, but man, like that's. There's some amazing free divers, but I think one of those videos, that guy, I don't know, he's down there for close to five or six minutes. It was crazy, you know, expending all that energy. And um, yeah, the first, the first two, like, recorded divers were a couple of local kids um akil and his his brother his buddy a couple of cool kids that we kind of brought in the project taught them how to weld they also work for chris um which is a, another another um i guess avenue that we're trying to pursue with these these like sunken vessels with sculptural elements is uh, they are creating habitats for like Goliath grouper, which are slowly in decline down there, uh, which there have been a ton seen down there since it's been sunk, uh, which is really amazing. And then also all the dive companies that are in and, in and around the British Virgin Islands, when they go dive this dive or some other dives we've done, which we've done some since prior, mm-hmm. um, these, this money goes towards charitable proceeds on the island. One of which is like teaching a lot of the local children how to swim because that's been an issue with like, generational you know parents over time and mm-hmm. teaching out kids how to swim and ocean awareness and a lot of things like that which is pretty cool yeah yeah like again i keep referencing the documentary because like i said if you're watching right now or listening uh you know go find it it's called the uh, the kodiak queen because um i don't think drew mentioned it but when it was a crabbing vessel right i think it was called the kodiak queen mm-hmm. um so kate winslet uh narrates it yeah, oddly enough, uh, she is married to Richard Branson's nephew, or something. There's a correlation. But okay. We to doing the narration. Which is she's she's cool. in the family, so they hit her up. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. Just easy to do. You yeah, because I mean, it's only. I mean, it's like I think it's like 15, 16 minutes long. Really yeah. well done. Yeah, it's uh, it kind of has it jumps back and forth almost like graphic novel style. There's some some cool illustrations that are done, some historical stuff, things that are done. And then it also kind of goes into like the hurricane that kind of yeah. devastated the problem. Um, yeah, that's gonna be my next thing. But uh, yeah, go check out the documentary. But they talk about um, yeah, down on the the island that a lot of local kids can't swim, despite it being an island, like you know, an yeah, island. I mean, I think generationally, you know, their parents, grandparents, and also were unfortunately taught to be scared of the water, so that they couldn't, you know, take off because enslavement and other reasons oh gotcha that nature so they have a, a strong fear of the water so it's more so like educating them and you know making them understand that they have this, this beautiful power to learn how to swim to take over this area that is their home and like you know be yeah. very well educated yeah yeah it was pretty awesome and yeah i didn't even think about that element of why they wouldn't culturally like why they wouldn't be you know swimming but i guess it kind of makes sense um but yeah so again you referenced the hurricane that was gonna be my next thing that's how i kind of found the timeline because i know hurricane irma was i believe what was that like the summer fall of 2017 Mm -hmm. and uh if you don't remember like it pretty much flattened the virgin islands oh yeah virgin islands got wiped out every leaf on every tree was devastated all the roofs got ripped off um there were piles piles and piles of like 30 foot 40 foot 60 foot catamarans 
stacked on each other like like you know monkeys in a barrel just like it was nuts it just looked like someone came up and scooped up like 30 boats that would take the largest crane to pick up in a singular fashion and just jammed them all together up on shore it was a bad storm that crushed puerto rico mm-hmm. even at the states a little bit yeah yeah so uh did did that affect the the reef that you you know the boat the artificial reef you did did it shift or anything or did it make it through pretty well Oddly enough, it, it survived that really well. It uh, it came through that storm and unfazed, which, you know, was a concern for sure. I mean, the island got devastated. Now it's really upsetting, but the the sculpture was fine. Um, but I think, was it a, just a little under a year later, um, a lot of people will go down there and rent, you know, catamarans, monoholes, and not pay attention to mooring balls. And then they'll have these they'll have storms down there where they have the underwater swells, which can actually be more violent than hurricanes. So like mm-hmm. these crazy deep underwater swells. So the culmination of, I think, someone coming through and not paying attention to a mooring ball for diving and, and seeing where the location was, they, they put a keel through the top of it, which mm-hmm. is upsetting. And then also one of these surges after the fact kind of came through and really messed, messed that sculpture and reef a lot of elements of that up um and we're working on some efforts to go back down and and kind of fix that and remediate that at some point gotcha and then um so from there i mean you mentioned you know you've dove you've dove it obviously once it was sank um yeah my first dive actually was with richard on it it was it was pretty fun yeah i was gonna ask um did you have any diving experience before that sounds like you didn't Right, so no, did, not at all. You not learned all. it just for this project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never even really considered options. Something I always wanted to do, but uh, when I found I was going to do the project, when I was making the model at the same time here in Asheville, I went through a, a local company and got certified. And then um, it was like the middle of winter, so I didn't. I wasn't able to like do a dive anywhere. I went to a pool and got a few like you know base, base rudimentary. Right elements down but yeah. didn't do anything deep didn't like in the in the deep end of the ymca pool yeah exactly. thing, yeah like, it's like oh this is fun i'm like underwater to pool forever this, this is gonna be great i'm gonna be a great diver you know and then you go down there i went down there my first dive uh was with a this girl lauren keel and her father who owned a, uh, a dive shop on peter island he's a really interesting but really cool people and uh i just noticed my my reg my regulator was hissing a lot I was like, hey, I, I could like, I think I'm losing some air. And they're like, ah, nah, you'll be fine. You know, you'll be fine. So we go down and I keep looking at my air. And, and this girl on keel is kind of paying attention to like, you know, you do all like the sign language for diving. Are you okay? This and that, you know, and you like show your numbers, what you have as far as what's left in your tank. And we're like halfway through the dive and I'm looking, my tank's going down really fast. And I look at her and I'm like 500, you know, you kind of normally start out with 25 to 3,000 pounds, 2,500. Mm-hmm. And uh, she kind of like got all bug eyed and came over and grabbed, you know, my my like oxygen regulator to see where it was at. She was kind of surprised. She was like, okay, she gave me the turnaround signs. We're start heading back to go back to the boat early because we couldn't keep up with the rest of the divers, obviously. And right when we get to the point where we need to go up, I run out of air. <laughs> so I look at her and I'm like, let her know I'm out of air. 
She's like, it's okay. We're going to share air, which is like something you have to do on your first dive is like you share air. You'll have to take your tank off and your regulator off, put it back on. You take your goggles off, have to put them back on. All these things you have to do to pass your first dive. So then you can go forward and get more. Yeah. Is that to kind of like learn what to do in those situations? Yeah. Only only you practice that knowing you have a full tank of air or, you know, so. But it was kind of, you know, it was funny. I wasn't too worried about it. So we sat there, you know, used her regulator and went back and forth and chilled for a minute. Went back up and, you know, that led to that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I was, didn't know if that was uh, your first time diving or what. But so did you also, um, did you do any like welding underwater? Uh, not on, not so much in that. Definitely did some, uh, some welding where it was kind of underwater. Uh, where like you kind of like rack your electrodes and electrical tape and you're, you're like, looking through a welding hood but you're like you've got like a big rubber glove and you're welding oh gotcha that was the first time i'd experienced that and then a few trips down there afterward helped out with a couple other things where we did like i got shown out of some underwater welding and that was pretty interesting it's a a peculiar sensation i always thought i'd that'd be something i want to get into when i moved to new york i i looked at a place in hoboken and they're like have you had any surgeries do you have good teeth uh they ask you all these questions i'm like well i have a few cavities I've had a knee surgery and this surgery. They're like, oh, yeah, nah, you, we can't take you. And, you know, I kind of, I never, you, like, they tell you why and you kind of get it, but, like, not until I actually did that do you understand because the way the electricity, you're in, like, this orb, this mm-hmm. field of the electricity, and the way it goes through you, you feel it everywhere. You feel it in your teeth. You yep. feel it in all your bad joints. Like, yeah, I, uh, a, bit. Uh, a guy that was, I think, about two years younger than me in high school, a couple of years after we graduated, we just ended up at some, you know, random party in uh, Hendersonville. And he was a, he was a, a dive welder for uh, like out in the Gulf for oil rigs, like a deep, deep water welder Same. to where he's in there. And like he was saying, the suit, they, they pump water and heat it and then pump it back through the suit. Mm-hmm. And you're down there. It's one of those things like, if you if you got to come up, it takes like two hours to you have to like come up a little bit, stop, come up a little bit because you're so deep. It'll like you'll get the bends and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, I was like, man, like, what's that like? He's like, he's like, well, the money's good, but there's a reason why people only do it for about two years. Like it's it's brutal. And but he 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 liked it. But then uh, I I bumped into him about a year later, and I asked him like, he's still doing that? He's like, no. I was like, did it get to you? He's like, yeah, the. Uh, the pump system sucked up a small jellyfish and sent it down into my suit. And it wrapped around like his side. And, uh, thank you. Um, stinging him. And it took him like, it took him like three and a half hours to come up and he's got this little jellyfish stuck to his side and he, she pulled his shirt up and it, it had been on him so long. He had like a burn scar where this jellyfish had hit him. And it's crazy because that's probably the most minimal things that happen. So, you know, a lot of those guys that do that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think he said, yeah, the, the time frame for those guys is like, like if you meet a guy who's been doing it for like five years, you're like, man, what the fuck's your problem? You know, <laughs> you got oh, death yeah, wish they're, or like, they're scattered and they got like slurred talk. And Oh yeah. But I mean, I give the, the amount of money he was making. I think he said, he's like, oh yeah. Like typically you don't go down for less than like 1500 an hour. Like, uh, uh, yeah. Okay, it's like I can see that be a tempting. Yeah, it's incredibly dangerous. I mean, they have guys that will go down um, and they'll stay like 
in pairs and these like big kind of like vessel submarines with oxygen and they'll be down there for like a month yeah because they're not so deep they're just down there and they'll trade and they'll go in out and work all day and then they'll switch another guy will go out and work all day yeah. and they're down there for so long working on a dredge or some kind of like old electrical line that needs like fixing and and something bad happens you know it takes a while to get up because you have all this nitrogen oxygen in your body that you have to come up in slow staggered amounts because if you come up too fast and it doesn't get released from your body, you get the bends, yep. which will kill you. Like yeah. even when you dive, you know, a, like a mellow 40 foot dive and you come up and do all your, you know, your safety stops and everything like that, you're still, there's an allotted amount of time. You're not supposed to fly within like, depending upon how deep you were and how long you were down. Uh, because, you know, you go up to super altitude flying and all that nitrogen has gone out of your body. You can be on a plane and your body will shut down. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts what he's telling me. But yeah, I didn't know if you had done any like underwater welding. It sounds like a little bit, but at a uh, pretty low depths. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. It's like Caribbean style. Super easy. Nothing crazy. Yeah. Island welding. Yeah. <laughs> Flip flops. So yeah, it's warm. You work a little slower, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. None of that crazy oil work where you're down forever that sounds terrifying yeah yeah i started i was like i don't know like 1500 an hour sounds pretty good but i don't know if it's that good yeah i mean i've heard story of those guys being down there and they see some like big fish oh yeah gets attracted by that light you know like what are you gonna do yeah well oddly enough not to get all you know off task here that kid's i knew the kid's dad and he did uh like underwater salvage and repair mm-hmm. and he uh he at one point was doing some like cleanup work at the uh, Lake Kiwi Dam oh. down there at the bottom of that. And he was talking about getting bumped yeah. into like by catfish. They're like the size of a car. I've heard that. Yeah. Cause when it's really dark, like you can see as their eyes glowing, like as wide as the headlights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty wild. So, but back to, you know, your experiences of the Virgin Islands. One thing I did want to ask, just like personal question after watching the documentary during the sinking of the Kodiak queen, like it looks like it's kind of listing over as it sinks. Was there like a concern that it's going to just flip? It was. Yeah, it was a huge concern. Um, I was like the third to last off the boat, woke up at probably three in the morning and took a small little tender over with two other guys, one being Owen buggy and this other guy named Adam Buskey, uh, South African guy who works for Chris. Um, we took that boat over, got to the, the Kodiak really early before anyone was there. Um, he had already, nobody, Chris had already had a boat stationed beside the boat, just with some few guys working on it over the few days after they towed it over there successfully. And uh, we got there. And the, the idea was to, we had four pumps set up, two port side, two stern, and on the front and back, we cut holes. So there are four holes cut about a foot up from the waterline. Each hole is probably like, I'll just say like 24 inches wide by like 10 to 20 inches tall. So, you know, size like a little microwave. Um, so we cut all those, four, all those four holes in the morning, you know, torches in the morning, like inside deep in the boat, got all that gear off, got the pumps ready and working. And then uh, by that time, it was probably say 10 30 11 in the morning after doing all that getting the boat like super prepared and also this time there must have been like you can look up videos but a lot of people were further back there must have been hundreds of boats like it was like a big party um so 
we start pumping water in because what we wanted to slowly do was just get the boat just filled enough with water so that when those holes got to the water level, you know, the salt water would start lapping in. Right. You know, so we did that. It was like a crew of kind of been close to 20 guys and I'm helping or running around removing pumps because one side's feeling faster than the other because on the on that boat if you look at it there was this big crane that was on the boat and we welded it we fixed welded position so it wouldn't move um but it had a lot of like weight that was weird you know and there was a lot of just like spots in that boat we couldn't get to and open up they weren't full of oil but just weird like areas right um filled with weight for ballast and you know things of that nature uh so we're on the boat it's like myself, uh, Chris Jordan, and this guy named Wayne, really cool Canadian guy, like super tough Bruce Willis, non-talking, epic, badass, and uh, just chain smokes like a <laughs> man. man. And uh, so like, there's like a little support boat, and I jump off, and then Wayne's right behind me, and then we can't find Chris, and Wayne's like, Fuck it. He's staying on the boat. He's going down with it. And we're all just like, okay, so we back off. And like the boat starts listing. Uh port side, if I can remember. And all of a sudden Chris pops up. I guess he decides he doesn't want to be on the boat. So we swing back in, grab him, he jumps off. So we back off. And we're kind of like slowly circling around the front of the boat. And it just starts to list really bad. And it's just like, you know, there's tons of cheering and like music on boats and it was wild. And all of a sudden it's just like deathly silent. And this boat just goes under slowly sideways. But then at the last second, you see it turn. At least I don't know if you can see it on camera, but at the boat, you could just see it turn a little bit, but just enough to where you didn't, you couldn't tell, you know? So essentially in the back of the boat set up like two massive anchors. And then at the front, we had two anchors crossing each other from port side to stern side. Um, and they were probably crossed on chain and they went out kind of 500 feet. Um, and this was like to counteract that from happening. Um, so the back didn't move at all, but the back did go down first and kind of put a dent in the ass of the cracking. Um, that hit first and you could hear it like above the water. It was pretty, like pretty bellowy. And then, um, and then it started listing and it went down and you could, you couldn't tell. And Chris and a couple other guys had dive tanks on. They were in the water and they went down and they were down for, it felt like an, you know, an hour. It's probably like five minutes. Right. And there's still like quite a bit of residual oil in the boat. Just, we couldn't get out. And just like, so there's this kind of like little plume. It wasn't a lot. It wasn't toxic, but just what, what couldn't be getting gotten right. rid of. And he comes up and he just gives us like a big thumbs up. And he's like, it's, it's dead level. It's dead level. Uh, which was pretty amazing. Everyone cheered. So that was like, it was like, I was about to cry and then mm -hmm. it came up and it was like level. So sculpture was intact for the most part and looked great. We went and dove it the next day after all the kind of sediment had cleared because it created a lot of debris and right. just old rust and metal particulate and just dust from the sea bottom kicking up. You couldn't see, so it wasn't worth diving. We went back the next day and it was dead level it like you could have put a 50 100 foot level on it and like from beam to beam it was just like so clean and then we dove one of the anchor lines and the anchor line that came from port side that uh, or sorry stern side that wrapped underneath to keep it from 
rolling all the way over it had drugged like 150 feet this like huge wake of like a five foot sand wake in the bottom just like you just saw like normally if you were to dive that side it would just be like beautiful pillowy sand like a desert but this was like this deep crevasse with like old conch shells like busted up it was wild yeah old pirate gold in there yeah i mean maybe it's like pirate land down there for sure so uh outside of that what's uh what's richard branson like really really nice guy yeah i figured he seems like it you know seems to be a pretty genuine kind of like uh what you see is what you get out of that dude and i think he's uh He's he's pretty much lived his his life making sure people are like yeah this is who I am you know yeah no hundred percent I remember we did uh before we did that first dive uh, he wanted me to come over on his boat with him so I did we talked for a while and you know talked about some future stuff that could happen that he was interested in and you know kind of great create a little rapport which is nice really great gentleman nice guy and he he gave me his he gave me his iPhone. He was like, hey, have you seen this this one photo that my photographer took? I was like, nah, he gave me his iPhone. And his iPhone was just all like cracked up and beat up. And I was like, I started laughing. I was like, what are you, what are you doing with a busted iPhone, Richard? And he was just like, ah, I don't care. And he was like, here, look at this photo. And I was like, okay. You know, just yeah. down to earth, nice guy, you know. Yeah. Did you uh did you like pull the number off? Did you like text yourself from his iPhone as you're looking through it? So now you have his number. No, I didn't, but he did tell me to email it to myself. So I did that from his phone, which is pretty cool. So nice. Yeah, having some correspondence, we just, that was cool. Awesome. Yeah. So then uh, from there, right, you uh, you did some other projects kind of in the similar vein. I was trying to find some pictures of, uh, especially like the pirate ship that you did mm-hmm. down yeah, there. Yeah, that's a, that's a really cool one. So if you go down there, if you go to US Virgin Islands or British Virgin Islands, um, you have the ability to go to a place called Willie T. Uh, and it's an old boat. There's now it's on its third boat that they've had due to hurricanes. The first boat was like this big old, kind of, it was small, but it was like a really cool thing. But it's basically like a restaurant bar, more so a bar in the middle of Bite Bay, um, which is like kind of like the island that, uh, you know, Swiss Family Robinson and all the treasure movies are based off of because a lot of treasure has been found there from a long time ago, probably not anymore. It's probably been discovered, but uh, so they've always had this really cool, like in rotation, this like little ship you can go and like have drinks on and like jump off and yeah, uh, and through three ships because of hurricanes. The first one got messed up from a hurricane. The second one got beached from a hurricane. Now they have their third one, which is like a big old like shrimping vessel that they turned into. The same thing, but it's got a lot more space. It's much bigger. But the second one from Irma was beached. And basically ruined from Irma, and uh, the, as there are, and there's quite a few other like derelict ships and vessels there that are still beached um, that they're working on that we're going to turn into other sculptural like wreck sites. But uh, my buddy Chris Jordan uh, from his commercial dive company down there uh, got the boat from the government, and we, given that it was like the Willie T pirate boat, we put about thirty plus. Um, pirate skeletons on it with like these really beautiful cast skeleton heads all different formations there's a captain there's like a sword fighting scene uh put two masts on it put a you know 
a, a plank on it to walk the plank. Yeah, I think there's some like there's playing a, poker or something like that. Isn't some there? playing poker. I made one skeleton and put him on the toilet. He's looking at uh, like pirate porn. You know, like nice. I welded like a magazine that looked like pirate booty. There's a bunch of like silly things on there, but that was a, another really cool boat. Uh, really cool little ship we sunk. Um, another great dive site. Uh, there's another one we did. Uh, we got three planes from the airport that were messed up from Irma as well. And we turned those into sharks. Mm -hmm. One's a hammerhead, one's a nurse shark. And the other's like kind of a spin of like a funky bull, great white kind of shark, you know, basically made each shark with some local help of my buddy, Chris's uh, guys down there. Basically just me and other guy, maybe three guys, but made each shark within the realm of like a week and a half out of aluminum, which isn't a lot of time. So they're not like, you know, they look kind of cheesy, but they're, they're still like somewhat have that shark appeal and you can look those up too. And beyond the reef is uh, what a lot of that stuff is showcased on. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask is uh, it's, um, and I'll, I'll tag, I'll, I'll put it in the description afterwards, but it's uh, on Instagram. I think it's like at one beyond the reef. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that started by my buddy, Chris Jordan and his partner, uh, Kindle Berna, who she does a lot of stuff with diving and she works with uh god i'm drawing a blank um Cousteau's family um his grandson okay on a travel channel uh so she's very versed she's from california she's got a lot of uh, she's highly enveloped in like the diving scene the travel scene in the islands as well but they created this cool nonprofit down there with one bee on the reef where we do the same thing that we were sourcing to do from the kodiak but it's you know a little less like hands in the pot and they run more of the show with the government and we're getting a lot more turnaround with these with these sites which is cool yeah any uh, any plans to go back and down there soon do another project yeah we've got a few projects in the works uh they're hush hush right now right but, uh, there's one for the fall coming up and then possibly a, a much bigger one maybe next summer if, if it works out but you know Awesome. We'll see what happens. When's the uh, last time you were down there diving? Uh, I was supposed to go a couple. I was going to go a couple weeks ago. It didn't work out. So I'm going to try and go maybe in, in October. But I went this time, about this time last year, and uh, got to dive a few of the wrecks, and they all looked really good. It was fun. It's fun to see your work underwater survive over a long, extended period of time. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's awesome. And uh, again, like, especially. The I mean I've seen the uh, the planes that are sharks they're fun, the uh, the pirate ship was pretty cool but there's something about that mesh kraken on yeah. that boat is just one of the most wildly beautiful things I've ever seen and it's uh one of the reasons why I didn't have you on you know because it's just I figured people would find that very interesting it's a really cool story definitely check out the documentary um, because not only I mean artistically it's incredible but uh just the project in general was insane and the fact that like richard branson's on board with like doing this make some artificial reef out of a pearl harbor boat yeah you know it was, it was pretty wild it was a beautiful experience to say the least uh it's like once in a lifetime kind of opportunity yeah yeah do you still have the model you got the model like up on the yeah the mantle uh, it's actually like in a crate right now in, in my shop. I need to do something good with it. But uh, yeah, I've still got the model. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, 
do you, uh, before we sign off here, anywhere, anything you want to promote, you know, any, anything you want to pitch or let people know where to go looking for stuff or. Nah, I'll, I'll send you some links and they can go check it out. And I don't know, nothing to really pitch, man. It just, uh, seems like everything's getting kind of crazy in the world. I'm sure they would just like calm down a little bit. That's oh. all I really want to say. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Everybody for- just calm down a little bit. Calm the fuck down. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Everybody in the live chat's giving me shit. I bought a Subaru yesterday, so. You did? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, again, a lot of just like most of the people that are in the live chat for these live shows, like we all know each other. So Mm. they're giving me shit about the obvious stereotypes for Subarus and, uh, you know, but. Yeah, but you're a family man. So I mean. I know. Well, actually what it was is I got tired. Like last month I spent like 300 bucks in gas in my truck. Oh, dude, I do that more than that every month of my yeah. truck. But, I mean, you use your truck. Like, I... Doesn't I mean, mean I like to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think I got, like, I got like four sheets of drywall, like, a week ago, and that was probably the first time in six months I really had anything in the back of my truck. So Good time to sell a used vehicle. Yeah, it, it worked out. It worked out. I even got the... It's the Outback, but it's got the uh, WRX turbo motor in it, so... Oh, hey, yeah, so that's not your average Outback. Mm-hmm. And I may have ordered a lift kit for it this morning. So, and some alterings. Uh, it's already got them. It's got the. It came with the. Uh, when I bought it, it had you know just like street tires, and I was like, "Hey, while like you guys are detailing it, like I'll pay for it. Just go throw some BF alterings on it to make it you know look a, a little bit different." So, it's there pretty sweet. Go. I like it so far. But uh, nice. When you, when you come back and visit, I'll take you a ride riding the bronco i just fixed my old 74 bronco so yeah i've seen the pictures of it man it looks awesome that's what i yeah. wanted i wanted a new bronco but uh about so much plastic on them though yeah yeah i know because uh my company that i work for makes about half the plastic parts for it but um really <laughs> yeah i do <laughs> injection molded plastic stuff so but uh the store like i went like i think it was like january i was like oh yeah i'm gonna go like talk to him about getting one of these Broncos. Like they're f- fucking awesome. And, uh, like, Oh yeah, we'll order you one. You will order you one. So like I put like whatever, it's like 500 bucks or something for a deposit. They're like, well, I'll email you the paperwork, you know, no rush, fill it out. And, uh, they like about two days later, he emails me all the paperwork. And I think like the MS, cause I was just ordering like pretty much the base model because mm-hmm. it comes with a seven speed manual in it. And I was like, I want that. Yeah. Was, I ordered the base model soft top, but I had them like upgrade it to like the SVT wheels and tires instead of just like, like the Steelies. It was the sport one, not the little one, right? No, it, well, the sport's the little one, the full size. It was the big full size one. Oh, yeah, yeah, the big one. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the MSRP on it was like, I don't know, like 45 grand or something. And then like, oh, yeah, uh, so because of demand, it's actually going to be like 72. And I was like, um, Never mind. I'll take my deposit back. Yeah, I'll go get a Prius. <laughs> no kidding. Well, I was like, fine. I, was like, uh, I thought like maybe they'd be like, oh no, like we'll work with you guys. Like, we'll just give it to the next guy in line, man. I was like, okay, never mind. <laughs> never mind on the Bronco. I was going to get a white one though. Just, you know, got to get the white Bronco. Yeah, just why not? In case I'm ever in a car chase. <laughs> I'm not going to see. <laughs> so... But anyways, man, it's been great chatting with you. 
Again, super interesting. Like the whole, like everything, your welding and stuff. Um, have you like any uh, any cool projects going on now around the the Appalachians you're working on? Nothing too crazy, man. Just uh, some house stuff, some restaurant stuff. Got some uh, personal personal sculptural pro- projects I'm pushing, but uh, nothing too crazy. Cool, man. Well, all right. Well, again, thanks for coming on. I uh, hope to see you soon. Next time I'm in town, I'll definitely hit you up and uh, go for a ride in the old Bronco. Yeah. Get some mud on it, and you know, or not. I don't know if you're, you know. But um, great. Anyways, everybody already knows, like I said at the top of the show, go like and subscribe, rate and review everywhere. Uh, thanks for listening. This has been Neuter Nation.